<laughs> we work so hard to get stronger, happier, more productive and successful. Don't forget the secret ingredient. Get grounded in play. Play grounding when it's time to get a life. Hello and welcome to Playgrounding. Today's interview is one I've been looking forward to bringing you for a very long time and I know you're not going to be disappointed. I got to sit down with Patrick Shern. He's the artist and founder of Poetic Kinetics and even if you haven't heard his name or about Poetic Kinetics, it's very likely that you've seen his work. In fact, if you've seen the movie Jurassic Park, you've seen his work. He creates interactive, experimental public art installations. Some of his most popular pieces that you might have heard of in the last few years, you might remember an 80-foot-long snail running around Coachella called Helix Poeticus. That was one of his. Um, also, the 36-foot-tall astronaut called Escape Velocity. And in 2015, he did a double piece called Caterpillar's Longing. It was both a giant caterpillar and a ginormous butterfly with these huge wings that went up and down, um, just looming over Coachella. It's the most beautiful thing. And if you've seen pictures of these pieces, especially if you've seen them in person, you'll remember how they inspired so much awe and wonder. Just people couldn't help but just break into smiles and laughter when they got around this work. Um, but he also, he brings joy through his art to public spaces as well. And recently he put up a piece in Pershing Square in downtown Los Angeles. It was a um, temporary installation called Liquid Shard. It was 15,000 square feet of holographic mylar floating in the air. I can't describe it. You just have to see it. It went up to 115 feet in the air. Now in this interview, you'll hear about much more than just Patrick's art and the inspiration behind it. You're going to hear how his ideas and how his whole career and his life of fun came out of a very unusual childhood where he was encouraged to just run with his wildest ideas, to go figure things out on his own and go exploring the unknown. I mean, this man learned at a very early age to follow his instincts. And he was taught also at that age to seek out and to enjoy life, enjoy nature and have fun. And his passion then for design and mechanics and the natural world led him to a really amazing career in visual effects, including making creatures for Jurassic Park. And then he went on to build snails and butterflies and astronauts. And he even did a piece at Burning Man to show us how to bring fire into a beautiful, perfect balance. And you'll hear all about that. But the main reason he's on this podcast is that even now with the demanding project schedule, I mean, he's has demand for his work all over the world. He makes time to instigate play in the lives of those around him. And even me, he helps us grown-ups see that our wild, wild ideas can still be possible. And one little brainstorming session with this man and your mind will start exploding. I'm not even kidding. Um, but he really bases it all. And he will remind you from the very beginning to start it all off with play. It's an integral part of our lives and he wants to bring it back into the lives of those around him and to the people who enjoy his work. And I'll let him explain all of that. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Patrick Schoen. So let me get this straight. You're a kid living in your home and you just have a crazy idea that you want to make. I don't know. I'm not even... I can imagine inside of your brain what you, and you would just be encouraged, okay, go do that. 
Yeah, like, <laughs> oh, mom, I want to be a bat for Halloween. Oh, okay. What does that mean? Well, I need to make wings. And she's like, all right, well, here's some fabric, and it's white sheets. <laughs> so then I, I, I spent my allowance buying black spray paint, which is not how to make white sheets black. Um, and so there's some pretty, pretty hysterical pictures. She let me borrow her fur hat, some weird fur hat she had. <laughs> I think it's probably my grandmother's. But yeah, like, go for it. You How know, old would you have been with a project like this? Six, four. Wow. Something like that. <laughs> you know? I just, yeah, so many of my young. parent friends, my friends who are parents, I guess I should say, they, it seems like, oh, it's Halloween and they want to do this thing and I have to go find it for them. And now it's on my to-do list. I have to go make this thing or I have to go find this thing for them. And <laughs> your yeah, parents well, are just like... Well, we predated like buy a costume. It's yeah. all, it was like, probably the, the epitome of that story angle is my sister wanted to be or was devil. I don't know if she wanted to be or not, but my mom, <laughs> she covered her face in like metallic lipstick, metallic red lipstick, which mm -hmm. smears off and comes off on everything. So <laughs> there's some pretty amazing pictures of like, again, my four-year-old sister running around as the devil, just <laughs> face painted in metallic red lipstick. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Was there ever a time, like even growing up, where you kind of realized your perspective on the world was different from a lot of the other kids, or did you continue? When I went to junior high school, we took this aptitude test, and they sat us all down in a public junior high school, and we took this test, you know, multiple questions, and 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 like in a month or two, we got the results back, and at that age, I knew it was a crock of shit, but basically, <laughs> they um, were sort of telling you the kind of jobs that you might want to consider, oh. the direction in your career and your life you might want to consider. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and so I was, uh, I was recommended that I should consider being a cake decorator. <laughs> and my best friend uh, was sort of lined out to be a truck driver. And this is in junior high school, you wow. know? And, uh, and at the time I was like, well, this is how they keep everybody from wanting to be astronauts and presidents, you know? <laughs> They, so true. You know, they, they shoot it all down really early in life. Mm -hmm. And I've, I really resented it. You know, I mean, I really like laughed it off. I didn't really care that much. But um, to sort of like start the whole conversation with a dumbing down and a, and a you know, put, let's put a little bit of a break on this dream thing you got going on. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, screw that. Fortunately, my parents and this way I was raised, you know, much more skeptical, much more questioning. Uh much more disbelieving of, of authority in the system mm -hmm. to buy into that. So what was your childhood like? I, I... We did a lot of cake decorating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Actually, seriously, we did. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> <Right. laughs> I have some that's cake decorator friends, no offense. Yeah, no, 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 really. But that's, you know, like um, I was raised by both my parents were teachers and uh, raised in the 60s, um, college professor, uh, Probably on the hippie side of things. Mm -hmm. um, my mom started an elementary school because she was so frustrated and, and you know, kind of disappointed in the public school system. Uh, and that elementary school was very experimental. Um, you know, we all sat on the floor and we all went camping a lot. And, cool. and you know, uh, it was really great for some things, sort of all the creative arts, English, writing, that kind of thing, and a little weaker in the math side mm -hmm. of things, which I don't regret long term. I had to teach myself some stuff later mm -hmm. with some tough lessons, but uh, I really don't regret it at all. But um, the whole notion of uh, 
creativity and expression and play and uh, all that stuff was very, you know, fervent and, and alive in our in our family and in the, in the school and a lot of practical joking going on. <laughs> um, and creatively, it was all about the process, not the result. So um, we were always creating. So there was always drawing going on and painting and messing around and, you know, and my mom was doing it and the kids were doing it. And so, you know, it's happening all around. And so some of the stuff that you would do would end up on a silk screen or on the refrigerator or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, and then some of the stuff, you know, would just get trashed and it didn't matter. It wasn't, I wasn't identified as the quality of the results of my work. Mm -hmm. um, That's which, an interesting it's, it's a, concept right there. I, having, you know, grown up as an artist and watched other artists and, other people work through their creative process. I think it's really a, a primary, a profound shift. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've met so many artists that are like, you know, oh, I can't show you this until it's finished or I can't, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, they, 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 they take criticism in a way that doesn't feel constructive, doesn't feel helpful. Um, you know, like your, your relationship is affected by the fact that I don't like or I have a different opinion about a color. Like, yeah. That's bizarre to me. <laughs> um, and conversely, I'm not affected by criticism in the same way. So I'm, I'm freed up to uh, to kind of look at things through other people's eyes and evaluate it differently. I think that's really healthy. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then also just sort of designing your life, your world. is. Mm -hmm. You know, my, my parents built the house I grew up in. Uh, we made so many choices and decisions that were just because this is how we want to live. Yeah. And that, you know, was a profound, you know, effect throughout my life that, you know, I'm only late in life really coming to recognize as, as something that's not as common as you might think. Wow. Um, so, so then, you know, you never did become a cake decorator. You. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't become a cake. No, I didn't. Um, I decorated mean cake, though, but... Uh, <laughs> Well, no, yeah, we just like the whole notion of creative processes, you mm -hmm. know, carried through everything. And and then also the the notion that you can do anything. Like, so, you know, you know both my parents, but my mom in particular, uh, she was like, hey, you know, this, this teacher from elementary school is pregnant in Alaska. Why don't you go take care of her baby with her? And I was like, oh, okay. So this is like, I'm 15. And... She set it up, made the phone calls or whatever. And so I went up to Alaska and my, my teacher from elementary school, science teacher had gone up there and married a fisherman and, you know, uh, <laughs> but she wasn't even having a baby until after the summer. It was this weird thing. But so I dropped <laughs> into the situation where I just ended up working for her family, making mm -hmm. nets and, so, and working on fishing boats. Wow. You know, which is uh, a huge opportunity. That's and awesome. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, and it was just kind of like, oh, okay, that's what's next. And, you know, mm -hmm. so my, my parents were always sort of willing and able to just throw me into things. My mom, we went to Baja on a sabbatical and my father was a professor and, and my I have family down there. Um, my aunt worked for a, a wilderness guiding company that would take people out whale watching and see kayaking cool. and stuff. So they just left me behind there. This is 11th grade now. Because I'd skipped sixth grade, my mom was like, you know, you could just hang out for a year why don't you just not and so they left me behind and i ended up working for this uh wilderness guiding company for like a decade 
um, really? off and on, but doing that and going to Alaska every year for, for a decade. <clears throat> and then I was like tired of that, you know, like the Alaska thing was beating up my body and, wow. and the, the guiding thing was fun, but there's no future in it really, unless you start your own company or whatever. So I decided I need, I needed a new career and I was more motivated by anything, by a, a, an experience I remember as a kid with my mom, I was standing on the sofa, she was sitting on the sofa and we were watching a documentary about Jim Henson making puppets, Muppets. Mm. right and I remember my mom going that looks like so much fun oh my god and for whatever reason that memory years later I'm like okay what do I want to do now um and I was like you know I went and saw Star Wars in the theater mm -hmm. and all that stuff so I was like I want to make monsters oh my god and creatures so... for movies so uh I went to film school in New York started working on monster movies right out of the you know right away I was like leaving class and running to to work on monster movies and different stuff and uh uh wow. jumped right in so i started making animatronics and creature puppetry i you know the chemicals and the and the foam latex and all that stuff i trashed an apartment <laughs> ruined a carpet and decided that it wasn't really my what i wanted to do so i got into the mechanical side of things which is sort of more where my aptitude is anyway and uh I did that for a number of years, ended up working on Jurassic Park, making puppets and creatures and oh my gosh. and that kind of thing. Uh, and then that directly translated to what I do now, which is, you know, um, using heavy, heavy equipment as sort of the mechanical understructure of making a creature. So the giant snail and, yeah. and astronaut and all that stuff oh is gosh. a direct sort of leap off of that, that original work. I want to talk about your actual art achievements, okay. but before that, there's something so much deeper in the reason why I wanted to ask you to be on this podcast. It's about play, and it's because as I look around your home, I, and I'm just, ever since you moved in here, and actually every place you've lived so far that I've seen you in the last few years, there's just this sense of wonder when I walk in the door that, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. Abundant Sugar, where you, where you run your business, um, when I first walked in there, uh, with my now husband because <laughs> uh -huh. he was one of the roommates there. I just remember just staring at everything with my mouth open like this can't be real. And and now um, you've created this place um, covered over with fake grass. So when I saw it, I wanted to run across it and do cartwheels. Um, there are clouds at night. There are stars on the ceilings. There's a rainbow made out of threads that is coming down that um, Desiree has been making. Um, your philosophy of life and play is pretty amazing. And can you talk a little bit about like how the concept of play is, why it's important to you, what you do with it, how you deal with it with other people and what you bring to the world in that right, sense? Right, right. <clears throat> um, well, if you think about human spirit mm -hmm. in sort of like, uh, like what, what, if we were to evolve to our highest state, what is that, mm -hmm. right? And <clears throat> I'm inspired by that, and I'm inspired by our relationships with dogs, <laughs> right? To me, dogs are unconditional love and play. Yeah. They need to eat, and they need to poop. <laughs> but basically, they just want to, like, love you and play. Yep. Which, you know, like, <laughs> and then, you know, you think about, like, okay, yeah, we've got all this society, and, you know, the brakes on the bus are loud and squeak, and, you know, people are honking, and got to get on time and you know there's all this anxiety and pressure and all that stuff but like if you, if you could strip that away you know when robots finally take over every single job what are we going to do <laughs> well let's play yeah right like let's all hang out and and 
So Desiree, my partner, and I, yeah, we, we live in the brewery and we, we rented a space that, you know, 3,200 square feet, but the, the floor is a disaster. Yeah. Right? It's like all uneven and concrete and, you know, it's like it was once a, bre- a vat room and so nothing's level and there's big holes and pits and stuff. So uh, to deal with that, we decided to cover it with artificial grass with the intention of you know, like when psychologically, when you walk onto grass, you're sort of like anticipating uneven terrain and mm-hmm. it's okay. You're like ready for it. So it's worked out really well so that, you know, as you're walking around on this grass, you're either barefoot because it feels good, in which case you're a lot less likely to trip with your high heels or whatever, mm-hmm. or you're conscious of it. But then, so now we have this, this living room of grass and that sort of snowballed into this whole concept of hyper nature. Hypernature? Right. Hypernature, yeah. I like, that. Right. I like that word. I've never heard that. <laughs> we just figured That's it out. Awesome. <laughs> so, so we have this like ridiculously exaggerated grass and we have this exi- ridiculously exaggerated rainbow. It's, this, you know, it's going to end up be 30 feet long and wow. made out of threads. And, and, um, and so the stars are this pile of, of disco balls, probably 30 disco balls <laughs> on the ground. Which but, looks pretty awesome all by itself. Yeah, by itself, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> but then you shoot spotlights at it and it turns into the most amazing cloud or uh, uh, starscape on the ceiling and the walls and stuff. <laughs> so like uh, in the sort of like broad stroke manner, we've sort of taken on this idea of what do you need? You need clouds. So I'm going to make some big giant cloud chandeliers and, you know, and, and uh, uh, it's, so it's hypernature. You know, we've got a big giant sculpture up front of a friend of mine that's a big sun and it's a little bit like the Teletubbies. You oh, know? yeah, you're right. It does remind it, me of Telly Telly kind of, It has that vibe a little bit. So it's kind of silly. It's not really my color palette that I would normally gravitate towards, but mm-hmm. you can control the lighting and get with it at oh, night, so it's really yeah. nice. You know, <laughs> so at night, you know, we, we turn it into something pretty fun. Yeah, that's for sure. And that's... then just to stay on, on topic, Absolutely. Uh, you, you mentioned Abundant Sugar, and that space is also at the brewery, uh, and... I was inspired by a, a science fiction writer. I'm a big fan of Samuel Delaney, mm-hmm. who wrote uh, a nonfiction piece about growing up uh, and living in a commune on the Lower East Side in Brooklyn in the 60s called Heavenly Breakfast. <laughs> and I was like, wow, you know, to name a place after a connotation, to me, <laughs> it was just fascinating. Like, you know, it it's a location, but we're all talking about a feeling that nobody has the exact same memory of yeah there's something that's just like so poetic and weird to to me about that so in naming abundant sugar we had a dog named sugar that was not going to outlive the lease and so we wanted to incorporate the word sugar into the name and uh and then we you know came up with a bunch of words that would kind of work in some poetic way and chose one out of a out of a envelope. What's funny <laughs> is that Sugar, she loved to play, uh, and it was a, a female. But her whole thing was humping your leg, <laughs> like so. If people started hugging goodbye, mm-hmm. she would run up like ferociously and just start humping anybody's leg. And I, I don't know what it was about. I don't think it was a dominance thing. It was just uh, emulating us or something. I don't really know. It was really so wonderful. Funny. Oh so there was certainly gosh. abundant abundant Sugar whenever you left or, or arrived. Uh, and then this place, <clears throat> the place I live now, uh, Desiree and I named it At Play, which uh-huh. is, it's kind of an awkward thing to say, yeah, let's go over to At Play. Um, but 
uh, I think it works. It works that it's kind of awkward because it sort of forces you to kind of pay attention to what you're saying and and get with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's um, you know we want to do a series of projects that are like at play in the fields of whatever or mm-hmm. at play under the you know the shadow of the liminal or like we have a whole series of um, you know at play in the broken shards of smoking mirrors and that kind of thing. We have <laughs> like all these different projects that we're working on that all sort of dovetail under this idea of. Um, being at play at something, yeah, uh, whatever it is, and that that speaks to the underlying philosophy of, of of everything. It's like if it's not fun, don't do it. Which is exactly how you where you started. Yeah, like like, <laughs> like why the... would you why would you move to a city you don't want to live in mm-hmm. for a job you don't want to do? Yeah, to live in a bigger house. You know, and I, I sometimes in this conversation kind of sprung off of there, there was a sticker my husband gave me a his old. Uh-huh. old computer case and on it was a sticker that said everything is going to be okay and he looked at it and said why i hope not, I hope not. <laughs> like, that's like not oh good. my god um, i want to but it better be better than okay <laughs> yes. and and that's that's actually the thing that every once in a while i remember one time i was in an airplane and it was some of the worst turbulence i'd ever experienced uh-huh. and we saw like the orange light out the window was night. I don't know what it was, but we all thought the engines are on fire. We're all sitting there. People get out their rosaries, and I'm holding hands with the people next to me. And then when things are okay and I land, and it caused that moment of, oh, my gosh, what if I did die? I'm getting off this plane now. And it was this uh-huh. weird feeling. And I feel like when you said that, it's what kind of brings that to mind. I kind of try to bring that mindset in that I'm alive. I'm alive. Yeah. I'm alive. This is kind of insane. Exactly. What do I get to do now? And it's exactly. it's the get to do and not the have to do. Sure, sure. And I think um, the way that personally I responded when I first walked into Abundant Sugar, and I think, and especially to you, I I, I was I was I, was, I, was, I was I was just like very weirded out by you. I was like, that guy is just running around playing with that t- diatomaceous tenacious diet. Oh God, oh, what is the- that stuff? The non-Newtonian fluid? Yes, yes. And yeah. you, you were, I was running over there. You're like, come here. here just, and I was staring at you. You're like, pick it up. I'm like, but it's a liquid. You're like, pick it up. And I'm like, okay, oh my God. And I'm trying to be cool. I'm trying at a party at a really cool place with all these yeah. people I don't know. Los and I'm Angeles, like, all these, yeah, yeah. I just right. moved into the brewery. Right. I'm dating this new guy. And here's his, this guy telling me to like, go stick your hands in that gooey stuff, you know? And and you weren't, you. I was like, is this guy serious? Is he for real? Yeah. <laughs> Well, you should tell, like, just pause for a second and, and say that this this is a perfect example. This was like a common, you know, mainstay element in our growing up. But it's cornstarch and water. It's super simple. Yeah. You mix it until it's a, a paste, like a like a gooey, liquidy paste, and it's it's what's called a non-Newtonian fluid. Mm-hmm. And so, if it if it takes an impact or it's it's compressed, it gets hard, like yeah. like clay mm-hmm. but as soon as you release that pressure it turns into a liquid again it's it's pretty it's awesome unusual i made a ball i made a ball absolutely and I <laughs> you can fill a bathtub full of it and, and stand on it as long as you're running but as soon as you stop running you sink anyway yeah. so i highly recommend it for yes. anybody of all ages go get a couple boxes of cornstarch and put it in a bowl and add some warm water or cold water whatever warm more pleasant <laughs> uh, and have fun Mm-hmm. And then when it's done, it just turns back into a powder and yep. keep it. And that's the, the thing that's so cool. The thing that's so cool about just even my memory of this is that it's so just normal to you. Um, and that's what's so beautiful. I feel like the places that you build are beautiful, but what happens inside of them are what really makes them so 
amazing mm-hmm. and people think of you mm-hmm. they think of your art they think of your working in you know you know art departments in film they think of your career and I kind of wanted to bring this out first just because of the experience you bring to the people that you touch when you meet them every day um, maybe you don't even know <laughs> but I remember I recently went to an event and I was running around and playing with lit up giraffe and just having a great time and I just I told my friends where I'd be but I ran off by myself and I just thought you know I haven't been like this for very many years uh-huh. I feel like I I've learned recently to kind of be like a child again and enjoy uh-huh. play and that was the thing that you brought to me oh, when, nice. I mean just it nice. was a, but it was a confrontation to me in the beginning uh-huh. I was like sure this is weird. This is really weird. And I can't act like that. I shouldn't act like that. No one should act like that. We're adults. What's wrong with this person? And then the next thing I know, I'm like, I made a ball out of that stuff. Oh my gosh. Elbows deep. It around. So, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. So I just, I re- first of all, I just really appreciate that, that you do that for people. I mean, it, and you don't even know you're doing it because you're just being yourself, but. <laughs> well, I'm a little bit conscious of it. Sometimes I have like a, a, a not evil streak. I have a, a playful streak, for a better word. Um, like I like pushing yeah. people off, off their comfort zone in mm-hmm. the, in a direction like that. You know, I don't want to embarrass anybody or humiliate anybody, but no. like, I like um, questioning, causing people to check themselves and question themselves, and you know, um, and that's a good example. It's easy, mm-hmm. but also just in in sort of being the the leaseholder and the the, the spearhead for better term of of abundant sugar for so many years Mm -hmm. um a lot of thought went into how that place uh wanted to position itself um in the burning man community initially and in the world at large Mm -hmm. um you know it was built by a number of people and very intentionally to support each other's creativity anybody that got close to the community that felt connected to the community and the community responded to Mm -hmm. um just got absorbed in and some people stuck and some people didn't and it Mm -hmm. wasn't like elitist at all it was just like this is what we're doing if this is interesting to you Mm -hmm. uh you're welcome coming (laughs) out but it was a highly productive environment we were all working really hard Mm -hmm. but the idea was that if if one person has an idea and is inspired by doing something but they don't have the skill set to do it if they're intentional and serious about it, then the community will rise to support that vision and help them get it done. So it's it's that element of doer, it's ideas, uh-huh. and then tenaciousness to actually go after it, whether you have the skill set or not, and then watch this tide rise under them. Yeah, that was the mission statement of Abundant Sugar. That's you know, but, but just in general, most of the opportunities or jobs that I've ever taken have been driven by either like a life experience opportunity or some skill set that I would learn because of it, you know, or somebody I was in love with, you know, it was always sort of initiated or inspired by passion on some level. Mm -hmm. Very rarely did I take a job that was for the money, Mm -hmm. just because of the money. Um, uh, Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, I really, now I kind of want to get into the work, like the stuff that you've, you've done because the work that's come out of that, um, this kind of group that you formed of uh-huh. just experimenters and tinkers and doers and, mm-hmm. um, you know, you guys have pr- had a pretty amazing run so far with just some of the amazing work that you've had a chance to do. Yeah. I think, I think that's also ties into the same sort of spirit of like, um, 
you know, like for the work that we do for Coachella or, or festivals, you know, we're, we're looking at that demographic for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and thinking what, what it would be like for them to experience what we do. Mm -hmm. And, <clears throat> um, and that's oftentimes motivated by whimsy or play or fun or, you know, it's like, wouldn't it be neat if, you know, we, there was a giant snail or yeah. wasn't, wouldn't it be neat if, um, you know, and then there's, you know, there's technical challenges and problem solving and all of the sort of the, the fun stuff of making mm -hmm. and building and fabricating. That's all there as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's very collaborative and uh, anyone's welcome to bring ideas to the table and, and explore them. Because <clears throat> um, uh, ultimately it's, you know, it's all of us doing this together. We're all in the same room or the same team or... Mm -hmm you know, it's three in the morning or whatever, we're all doing it together. Um, we should all like care for and respect each other and do our best to take care of each other. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's weird being, you know, sort of the leader of a team like that, you know, because fe I feel like I'm, you know, responsible for my friends in a way that's, you know, weird sometimes or, you know. They're not just workers, they're they're your family. and just... yeah, 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 exactly. Or, you know, if I burn them out, you know, and then what, you know, yeah. or, uh, yeah, just becoming boss, boss to, to friend is a weird dynamic. All of a sudden, I find, you know, I'm like, you know, what if I just need help unloading a sofa? Can I call <laughs> my friends? You know, like that kind of thing. Or, or, yeah. you know, or like, you know, you might not invite your party to your boss to all the parties you want to go to. Like that kind of, <laughs> yeah, there's a little yeah. bit of that kind of thing. What was the first one? How did your first big heat fabrication for the China project? That was your first really big that was the first commercial one. Okay. I've built some big stuff for Burning Man that was yes. just because, you know, and that was, that's a very different yeah. uh, motivator. And um, Coachella, I think people probably, like, as far as just the general public knows your Coachella work, the snail, the astronaut, um, the butterflies butterfly and caterpillars, and the, caterpillar. and the praying mantis, and a giant, couple giant flowers we've done. Mm -hmm. It's just uh, so fun to see um, people running in front of your pieces so excited to take an Instagram selfie with it uh -huh. and standing on their hands and just it was it's just so much fun to watch people go up and mm -hmm. hug it you mm -hmm. know hugging the caterpillar and you know and and there's this part of me like anywhere else you just be like oh god don't don't hurt it don't hurt it but yeah. you're like touch it touch it yeah. play with it do whatever you got to do and that's yeah. very it's, it was an exciting thing to watch the kid the kids the people I guess at Coachella the clients, who, <laughs> the, clients. the passengers yeah. the passengers that was fun so just sort of enjoying your work what is yeah, yeah like that's I, I think you know as an as an artiste or whatever mm -hmm. like I think everyone's got different ideas of what that means but um I was on a panel not too long ago um for Burning Man artists mm -hmm. and they wanted us to just sort of speak about you know what our piece was and what motivated us and you know like kind of a process a little bit and everything and for whatever reason I was the last in line mm -hmm. and so like five or six different artist groups got up in front of me and this was in Oakland, California, um, which is a wonderful place. Mm -hmm. But uh, everybody, coincidentally or not, was all wearing black and, you know, heavy jeans and black kilts and all that kind of stuff. Totally righteous. I was not. <laughs> and they all told stories of, like, man's struggle against adversity and, you know, unfairness and injustice and all this kind of like they had all these sort of heavy tones behind their work and 
And I, you know, I felt so sort of outgunned in that department. <laughs> <laughs> I got up, I don't know, I was probably wearing some, I don't know, colorful something or other, whatever. Uh, but I remember just feeling like all I can say is that I just wanted to make people happy. Yeah. I made this big flower. We took it to Burning Man. And I just wanted to make people smile and laugh. And like, <laughs> I didn't have any angst about it at all. I was really kind of comfortable with it. And it wasn't particularly a struggle. I mean, we worked really hard and it was really challenging, but it wasn't like... <laughs> I wasn't working at Walmart. No. You know what I mean? And so like, it was just a weird moment and the, the audience really responded to it and I didn't mean it insultingly to, to any of the other artists, but yeah. I was just like, I got none of that <laughs> for you. You know, like <laughs> I feel really blessed and this was really fun. You well, know, this last year or in this year and then a couple of years ago, you brought fire and balance out there. Um, uh -huh. That was, that is probably one of the most amazing experiences. When you look at pictures of Burning Man at night, usually you just see like all the big amazing LEDs and the lights and the colors, but there's one art piece out in the middle of nowhere that people just flock to. Mm -hmm. And um, if you see just not a lot of lights, but a lot of bicycles in the dark and a little <laughs> bit of fire, it, people are just clamoring to get into your art piece. And you tell a little bit about that one. Well, you know, I've been to Burning Man, I don't know how many years now, <laughs> since 1999 every year. And there used to be no LEDs mm -hmm. and it was all fire. And now it's all LEDs and very little fire. Mm -hmm. um, but I noticed, you know, like when people go to art pieces out there, they ride their bike up, they maybe do a lap around it. They might get off and go inside of it or whatever. But the, the sort of the time spent with it, generally speaking, is pretty short. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they're on a mission. Yeah. Or they're not hooked. And ours, you know, we made intentionally made a space where um, you want to watch what the fire is doing. It's a it's an unusual uh, juxtaposition because the fire is over your head, trapped against a ceiling, which is you, you never get to see that. Mm -hmm. um, and sort of because of that, the chemistry and, and physical properties of what's going on with the atmosphere and the properties of the propane burning and all that stuff, it. it causes this really unusual effect and whether you're on drugs or not it doesn't really matter um but it it really engages people and then it's warm mm -hmm. it's and warm in the cold nights yeah and you're forced to lay down not forced <laughs> encouraged <laughs> encouraged to lay down but now you're laying down right next to strangers watching something that you can't really explain or understand mm -mm. uh you know until you get into the you know the serious physics of it um and you meet people and hang out and, yeah. and it's warm and comfortable and, uh, and then it cycles and changes and, and, you know, as the operators were able to play with it and, and turn it up and turn it down. And yeah, it's just an amazing sight. It's like, if you've ever seen the movie backdraft, a few people like that's the way mm -hmm. people try to describe it. It's that effect on the ceiling of just the fire dancing on the ceiling. Mm -hmm. It's just, and it's, Yeah. It's yeah. an amazing experience. And I've just, you're, what you bring to people <laughs> is just, <laughs> you're always thinking of how to bring wonder to others. And that's actually I think so, pretty yeah. amazing. And you bring it now I... to the public space as well, um, recently uh -huh. with the Liquid Shard that was started here in mm -hmm. Los Angeles. And it's up mm -hmm. in, where is it at now? It's not. Oh, it's not. It's it... in a box. Oh, I thought it was still up somewhere. your husband's office. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> at the other place yeah. wow yeah. so i yeah. so yeah so liquid shard made a huge splash everyone was 
that one went all over social media and yeah. <laughs> it was a beautiful yeah. piece as well. It was, but it was almost the opposite of Fire and Balance. It was playing with air or... Yeah, I mean, I'm always inspired by nature. I'm always yeah. inspired by scientific principles or, or things that happen anyway that you don't mm-hmm. get to witness otherwise. And, and uh, I've had this co- concept for years and I've tried really hard to pitch it. I pitched it at Coachella, I pitched it at other places and and it's really hard to describe it in a manner. Same thing with the fire thing. It's really, mm-hmm. yeah, the fire's upside down and it looks really different. And, <laughs> and everyone's like, okay. Um, and I've like built it and set it up places for people to, to witness it just in the hopes that they would go for it. Mm-hmm. But in the case of Liquid Shard, I had this material um, all ready to go. Uh, and I got involved with this school, um, this architecture school out of London. And, and I was teaching this this sort of 10-day seminar mm-hmm. and normally these kids would come out with a little maquette of their building you know whatever they wanted to build or design or whatever and I wanted to give them more of a hands-on real-world experience so I was looking for a venue and uh, I was willing to like go to the park and we'll just set it up for a day or whatever mm-hmm. um, but we went to this Pershing Square directly to the park um, with the Now Art LA nonprofit some friends of mine mm-hmm. And, uh, and said, hey, we want to put in some temporary art. Uh, you know, you guys want to beautify your park. So you approached them. Yeah, wow. right? And, but it was like, and it was like next week. It's not like, hey, two months from now, can yeah. you, you know. And because it was temporary um, and sort of because of some of the other stuff, and they're really trying hard to, to make that park more appealing and attractive, mm-hmm. uh, they're willing to take risks. And, and they said, sure, go for it. And... Uh, and so we did, we installed it in one night. Uh, I'm super, super grateful to them for, for taking the risk. I think that, you know, the civic institutions across the board should take more risks and mm-hmm. be more playful and open and experiment. You know, they're, they're so hyper concerned about <laughs> getting the one bad email from some crotchety <laughs> True. person, you know, <laughs> but these guys, they, they, they took this risk and I'm really grateful. And, uh, I mean, the biggest downside to all of it is that nobody was prepared for the response, you know, <laughs> and uh, like, you know, they got in trouble from their bosses because they didn't let the marketing and PR people know. Oh, wow. <laughs> Which is like, <laughs> it's quality problems across the board. There has to be um, a proper launch. <laughs> well, they just, they were just not ready, you know, and no, I wasn't I ready either. Like yeah. you know, overnight, I had to hire people to just answer my emails because I was like swamped. That's I'm still amazing. Swamped. Wow. Uh, you know, and, and weeks after that we took it down, they were getting a hundred calls a day, wow. saying, "What's up? Where is it going?" Yeah. <laughs> well, it's so, it's so funny because you're going to get opportunities now to do more around LA as well, right? Mm-hmm. That's make mm-hmm. some park. If you live in the Los Angeles area, you might find some more playful art pieces up in different parts of town. It's not just Absolutely. downtown, right? No, 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 no. I'm I'm uh, in talks with this with the city and the county about doing stuff all over the city. Wow. Um, but. You know, as much as my work, I think I think the whole underlying mission of like bring art to the people, and you know, I think museums are great, and putting things on a pedestal is important, and having the history be, you know, explained and, and available is important. But bottom line, it's all subjective, mm-hmm. and you know, why is this painting more expensive than that painting? Well. Because somebody said so. Yeah. Or whatever. I don't know. And, and it's fine. All that, that whole machine and, and institution is fine. But like, 
bring people down to the park and put a bunch of art in front of them. Yep. And you get this crazy response. And, mm-hmm. and it was, you know, widespread. And so weeks leading up to the, to the installation, a couple weeks ahead, we were, you know, not even a couple weeks, you know, we were down there like maybe three or four times in the week leading into it. And, uh, it was like five people in the park, 10 people in the park, mostly mm-hmm. homeless. Some people having lunch there was, you know, some nannies and kids in the park, you know, the kid, kids mm-hmm. park or whatever. That's all good. But when that art piece was there, there was hundreds of people in the park yep. all day long, every day. Oh, that's just, and oh my gosh. It's wonderful. Well, the, the park is. was, the park people, the LA Rec and Parks people responded to that, um, you know the press responded to that we responded to that and that is more satisfying than than anything and and i think what's so i want i want the parks to welcome other artists mm-hmm. like i want it to be like hey yeah you know here's this giant palette in this crazy venue all this opportunity mm-hmm. you know it didn't cost much Mm-mm. um but there's so many artists that would love an opportunity to to work at that kind of scale um that if they go through the sort of the, the standard channels of, you know, applications and grants and meetings and interviews and proposals and decks mm-hmm. and engineering and like all of that stuff, it's like years in advance. Yeah. You need to, oh, yeah. you need to be doing the, the preparation for that. And it's really challenging and exper- expensive, you know, whereas like, why not? You got a month, you got, a, you can be up for 60 days. Go. That's what do awesome. you got? You know, and and some are going to be duds, and that's okay. A lot of the artwork at Burning Man, you know, they, they grant mm-hmm. some number of things, and every year some number don't show, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, that's okay. You know, sometimes yeah. it doesn't work out. We but give it a chance. But the bottom line is, you know, the artwork at Burning Man is phenomenal. There's so much going on, and it's because there's an opportunity and a community that responds to it. Mm-hmm. And we proved that there's a community that will respond to it mm-hmm. if you bring it. And you know, it's, yeah. I don't know how many of those people would never consider going to the Broad or mm-hmm. the LACME or, you know, like MoMA or one of these museums. They might. You have I, to... I, I don't want to be no, projecting, no, but right. my suspicion is all those people that piled out of their office buildings and had lunch underneath that every day, mm-hmm. you know, are busy people. And, you know, like here's this opportunity right in front of them. And you brought some whimsy and some mm-hmm. wonder to days yeah. of people who sit under yeah. cub- fluorescent lights and cubicles. Well, and that, <laughs> that piece in particular is all about play. Yeah. You know, it's all about the little wind currents that can stir individual <laughs> streamers, but also like look at what's yeah. going on, on around it. us in this big, broad strokes. Like you don't know... You think of the air moving through a city as this giant mass. Mm-hmm. And yes, it's going to create eddies and stuff around buildings. But I don't think when we feel it on our skin that we're thinking of this like giant symphonic lyrical play going on all around us. And, and mm-hmm. to throw a surface up into that that can catch it and ride it. That's amazing. It's really, yeah, it's really like to me, that's what it was about. You bring these beautiful places, the homes you've created, you bring the art to you know, in your work world, but oh, you also you. bring it to people out there just wanting to have their lunch on a busy day. And there's going to be a lot more of that around LA. And I hope other cities adopt this kind of thing. There are a lot of great artists out there. And it sounds like you being kind of a curator of these of these public spaces that, that is going to create great opportunities for a lot of artists. And yeah. Yeah. I would wonderful. love, I would love to see more of that happening. Yep. You yeah. know, and like, what's it cost us really? Yep you know, reputation or like all these things that are just kind of like hollow, false motivators. Mm -hmm. 
you know, yeah, you don't want to kill anybody. I get that. You don't want to make mm-hmm. something dangerous. But like, to what degree is danger? Yeah. You know, like, yeah. like you can pad your kid so much mm-hmm. and take away all the play. Yeah. You know, like if I had a kid, I would give him a pocket knife and I'd teach him how to start a fire and put it <laughs> exactly. out. Exactly, yes. Right? Because he's going to start a fire if he's got any chutzpah at all. Yep. He's going to start a fire. Like teach him how to do it. Yep, exactly. You know, teach him how to drive way before he knows how to drive. <laughs> way before he's old enough to get a license. Not yeah. that he's going to go driving around, but like that's hugely it's empowering. Hugely. They're going to fall down. Mm-hmm. Okay. They're going to get hurt. Yeah. <laughs> Buy some more band-aids. Get some cute ones. Go for exactly. the little, you know, get the Looney Tunes or whatever. Cool. You know, make it fun. Thank you so much for this Anytime. interview. I was so Kara, looking I'm forward super to excited. this. Oh yeah, I've been. I'm sorry it took so long to get it together. But, oh no worries. He's a busy yeah. man. You got something coming up anytime soon? Anyone should know about or uh, just getting the LA stuff We just installed um, out in India. We just installed a permanent piece on a median. So everybody oh, wow. going to Coachella next year will drive right by one of our pieces, and that was fun. Oh wow! Uh, and then um, another permanent piece for in Florida, and then more of this liquid shard Skynet stuff. We're That's calling amazing. it Skynet. Every single installation will have a different name. So oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. So we'll keep yeah. an eye on that. And uh, people can follow you at Poetic Kinetics on your Facebook uh-huh. page. Or, um, yeah, yeah. That's, we'll probably, make sure the, that's probably the safest bet. Great. I'll Facebook. put links to everything on the show notes for yeah. this episode. Great. So thank you again. And yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing more of your work. Anytime. <laughs> Absolutely. My pleasure. <laughs> All right. Bye. I hope you enjoyed my little chat with Patrick. Don't forget, you can see his work in action on playgrounding.com 18, where you'll also find videos and links to his website and Facebook. Don't miss an episode of the Playgrounding Podcast. You can sign up to receive emails with links to the latest shows, as well as exclusive recommendations and links to play experts, their talks, books, and events all over the world. Just go to playgrounding.com to sign up. See you next time.